Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Transpart Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and my guest today is kidney recipient and founder of the World Club Basketball Tournament, Eric Douglin. Eric discusses his passion for basketball and how he's used it to raise awareness and funds for organ donation and kidney charities. He also talks through the process of receiving a kidney from his wife, Mandy. Eric has set up an incredible tournament, so please stick around to hear more about it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you normally get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Eric Douglin, welcome to Transport's Take on Sport. Good evening, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Uh, I think you'd be a really interesting guest. Nice to hear your your stories. Done some reading on you. Uh, we'll come on to your the basketball tournament that you've set up later on in the podcast. So, listeners, please do stick around for that. It's the World Club Basketball Tournament. Um, it's a sports podcast, as I've said many times on here before. So, we'll go right back to before you transplant. What were the sports that you were playing up until then? Um, at, at school, go all the way back to school. Um, my twin brother and I, um, we used to play um, basketball all the time. Um, we used to watch it. We lived in London. We lived right next to Crystal Palace Sports Centre. And there was a team, very successful team, called the Crystal Palace um, Cinzano, who played at the Crystal Palace. So we would go up there and sneak in and, and watch them play. Um, so that's what got us into basketball. Uh, watching, you know, the professionals, you know, watching the guys who are, who are the, the best do it. Um, and then when we went to secondary school, um, that was, you know, that was it. We we wanted to get into the team straight away. We didn't get in the team. We went to training. Um, we didn't get in the team first time. Some guys who had never played got into the team. Um, slightly digressing, there was an American guy who had never played, but the teacher said, you're American. He went, yeah, you're in the team. He'd never played before. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that um, you know, annoyed me and my brother. But we went back again, got in the team, fortunately. And yes, back in our school days, we just loved basketball. It's a, a very fast sport. It's a very, um, um, everyone can get involved in it. Um, and yeah, just going back to those Crystal Palace days, it was such an exciting sport because back then, the... Um, 
Crystal Palace team used to have an international tournament um, called the World Invitational Club um, um, Basketball Tournament, and their teams from you know Russia, um, Australia. It was a fantastic tournament that was on every between New between Christmas and New Year. Um, and to go to Crystal Palace and see these teams from the overseas just playing at Real Madrid there and what have you, uh, and, and it was a great tournament, and, and that's why I fell in love with basketball um, and football as well. I used to love football. Um, I got put in the rugby team but hated it. Um, I got put on the wing. So at the time, I was quite quite fast, but I absolutely hated rugby. So my main two sports were um, football, where I was a goalkeeper, and um, and basketball. And uh, they just stuck with me, you know, all the time, really. The goalkeeper links in quite nice there with the with the basketball handwork. Did you think they lent themselves to each other? They they, they did later on, yeah. And I didn't really realise it until I started getting a bit more into basketball when I got older. Was you know, um, I was quite yeah, had very quick hands. I could catch the ball quite well, um, but I didn't really realise it until later. Um, but the reason I was a goalkeeper was I was very unfit and. Um, you know, we didn't have to run around as much, but <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it, it did it did lend itself uh, later on because um, you know I'd you know defending quick hands and, and catching the ball and what have you and um, and foot speed as well. Uh, I was able to sort of have you know have that foot speed that goalkeepers have. Um, so yeah, that that was that was something that was you know um, very advantageous to to my basketball um, development, so to speak. Um, but um, yeah, it's the, you know the, the problem with basketball um, is it's, it's a fantastic sport, but in the UK it's still growing. Uh, and, and and one of my my aims is you know when I played it at school, and I said you know to my mum I played basketball, and she what's that? She, not a lot, not a lot of people knew what it was. Um, so that was a bit of a you know awkward, but um, yeah, it's getting better, it's getting bigger. Um, yeah, and I, I just love the sport. I think it's a great sport. I think there's a chance of it reaching. Somewhere near the NBA level, in the UK, no, um, unfortunately, um, people have tried, but the the, the um, there won't be many countries in the world that get to the NBA level. I think um, Spain are very close, um, and Italy are very close. But what's happening now? Years ago, the NBA was a case of it had the best American players; they were fantastic players. But now the NBA have widened their net, and and anyone who's really good in Europe. Europe or Africa to a degree, the NBA are taking those players. So all the best players are now playing in the NBA. So the NBA is now becoming more of a um, a world market as opposed to an American market. And a lot of the American players um, are getting pushed out and are coming to Europe. So it's been a bit of a role reversal. Um, yeah, the, you know, the NBA, that's why they, they've always called it, if a team wins the NBA championship, they always used to call it the world championship because they were the best league in the world. I, I always sort of disputed that because I think, well, you're just, you know, the Americans are very similar to the um, NFL championship the other day. They have met wings with world champions, but it's just played in America. But um, yeah, the, it, it won't, in, in England, basketball won't be as big as it is in a lot of the European countries, unfortunately. We're, we're way behind. Um, they did a ranking the other day of, of the top um 20 teams and we weren't even in the top tw- in the top 20 you know you had teams like Slovenia Georgia Lithuania um, Denmark small countries who were way advanced of England um, you know we've got 60 million people in the country or Great Britain I should say and, and we can't get a really good team we have the talent we just haven't got the infrastructure unfortunately um, 
and we haven't got the finances put into into the sport yet, but we have some excellent talent um, playing. Um, but we just, we just, I, I think basketball is seen as one an urban sport and two a sport played by minorities. So it doesn't really get that much focus. It's not. It's only basketball. We'll leave it there. And um, when we did get funding, it was in the um, London 2012 Olympics. They, I, I think they gave us something like, like 12 million. It might be a bit more than that. But they wanted a medal. Um, they wanted, you know, the, the, the Great Britain team to come out of the Olympics with a medal. There was no way we were going to come out with a medal. Uh, we were just happy to um, to be there because you had teams like Spain, USA, Lithuania, I mentioned earlier, um, China. There were some fantastic teams in there. And we didn't even get out of our group. I don't think we won a group game. But from the Olympic standpoint, um, the Olympic board, they said, look, we've given you X amount of million pounds. We want you guys to come out with a medal. Um, and they said, what we're going to do after that as well, we're going to um, have the Olympic legacy where we're going to give you more money. We're going to have all these facilities, what have you. And when we didn't get out of the group, the board looked at it and went, we're not going to give you guys any more money. You know, you're not that good. Um, so there's no point in us putting money into basketball when we can put it into sports we're going to meddle in, like rowing, equestrian, badminton, you know, athletics to a degree. Um, so basketball had that big furore over, the, over London 2020. Um, and then it just died down. And all the players who played in the Olympics were like, well, we're not going to get any money. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to put, our, put our, ourselves out anymore. So, um, so unfortunately, you know, it's, 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 it's a fantastic sport, but it will never, well, I don't think it'll match the NBA for a good 15, 20 years, maybe more. I think you can get that with a lot of certain sports where it seems to be, there are certain countries that are, are really good and the other ones maybe that are trying to get there, but it's more like football, cricket, my main sports I've had over the years, cricket, I think you get these, the test playing nations, there's not a lot of cricketing countries, football is a lot more, but yeah, again, there's a big skill gap in those sort of sports. Yeah, yeah, there is. And, and you know, as you mentioned the cricket, I remember, you know, I'm old, you know, I remember when the, the England cricket team were okay, but they, they went through fits and starts, but now they've got a really good setup. And I think that's, that's because they're coming through the grassroots. They're getting a lot of players through the grassroots um, level. Um, you know, and, and obviously one of the, well, they won the World Cup, didn't they, I think? A yeah, couple of years 2019. Ago. Yeah. Um, and that's because, you know, they, 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 they've looked at what they need to do. They've looked at other countries and they've realised where they're failing and they put a lot of money into it. They could do the same with basketball, but I, you know, but I think the board are looking at it and they're just going, there's no point. But I think we've got so much talent in the UK. There's absolutely, we're, you know, we're bereft of talent and a lot of our players young players go off to the States and play in college in the States and what have you. Um, and then they go off and play in Europe. So they won't come back to the, the, what we call the, the BBL, which is the British Basketball League. A lot of them won't come back. Although we've got a lot of, um, because of the pandemic, we have um, probably the best U British talent in the BBL at the moment because the guys can't really play overseas. Well, they can, but you know, there's loads of excellent talent yeah. in the BBL at the moment because they're not going overseas, which is great. But the fans can't go and watch the matches, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a pain. I've seen it on on the uh, 
on TV. I've not noticed. Maybe it's just because I'm at home more. But I've seen the VBL on the TV listings a lot more. Yes. Yeah, which is great. Yes, um, Sky Sky have got it. Um, you know, Sky put it on. But I think you have to um, pay like £20 a month or something. You know, you know Sky. Like Sky have all these various different packages. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to go and pay X amount to watch the VBL uh, extra when I've already got the Sky packages. Um which which is is isn't great, and then there's also there's a BBL um, player where you can go and watch the BBL matches, but you have to pay four ninety nine a match or something like that. I'm not too sure the exact amount. Um, so a lot of fans are like, well, I'm I'm not really going to watch that, but that's what you need to do. You need to with basketball, you need to get the people who aren't into it, um, people who don't really go and watch it that often, um, because it's a great family sport, and that's the thing, and 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 they're missing out on. I used to go and watch a team called, well, my local team called um, uh, Crystal Palace, and I used to go and watch another team called London Lions, um, who played at Crystal Palace after that, um, after the, the demise of um, the Crystal Palace Cinzano team. And I've always advocated that they used to charge £20 a game, um, £20 each person, and they'd get 100 fans, you know, maybe 200 fans. And I always used to say, why don't they just charge £10 a person so you get more, twice the amount of people and kids go free? So all the kids, you go and then they go should go around all the schools and start, you know, saying look, free tickets come, you know. And then the kids can't go without the parents, so the kids will go. Look, I want to go and watch this basketball game where they're going to have cheerleaders and this and that and uh, and they used to do that years ago, but they seem to have lost that that community spirit a little bit. Yeah, if they just reduced, I think to reduce the prices when we can get fans back in. Um, but yeah, but when I used to go and at Crystal Palace um, last year. Because um, they had another team that played there called um, London City Royals, who were a, a new new franchise, um, and they only lasted a year because they 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 made lots of financial promises to their players they couldn't adhere to. Um, so they said, "Look, we're going to pay you X amount, and you X amount." And they had the best players, and they won the cup the first year, and I think they won two cups, and they were really successful. Second year, they didn't. Um, you know, they, they had to they had to fold, which is a shame because, you know, it was on my doorstep. They had big crowds, but again, they charge too much and there's no money um, in, in UK basketball at the moment, unfortunately. Um, whereas, yeah, cricket, it's great. Football, you know, it's, it's, there's always going to be money in football. Um, but basketball, you're slightly laggy behind. Hopefully, it does get more funding and it gets onto that level and just encourage more people to play. There's yeah. always there'll always be people who like basketball. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the second most. I think it's the second most played team sport by under 16s in the UK. So it's played by loads and loads of kids all around the UK. Um, but it's it's just when they get to when they um, get to 16, 17, there aren't many clubs, or it's too expensive to play because um, you go into sports halls um, and the sports halls when we used to play were f- uh, about forty pound an hour. So you're playing for two hours, that's £80, and then you're playing, you've are you got to pay referees. A, a game, when I had my team, the Bexhall Giants, a game would cost us per night by paying, the, you know, the sports hall, the referees, you needed two referees, the table officials, it was costing about £150 a night. Uh, and then you played um, sometimes two games a week, it's £300 for an amateur team. But when I played football, um, I, pay, I was paying £2.50 subs per game or £5 subs a game. Uh, and it just became too expensive. So if you're an under-16 kid and you want to play this sport, your parents have to fork out a lot of money. 
uh, and then you're traveling all over the place and it's a, a midweek sport as well. So the kids are at school, they go home, then they've got to play a midweek game and they're playing all around the place and getting back quite late. So it's a, um, a very time, can be a very time consuming sport, but as I said, it's, it's my personal opinion. It's one of the best sports in the world. That's, you know, from my perspective, because I enjoy it so much, but it's quite expensive. We'll come on to the, the Bexhill Giants, as you mentioned there. Yeah. Um, you sent me some notes beforehand talking about the sports you played um, leading up to now. You set up the Bexhill Giants in 1999. Yep. What made you want to set the team up? Um, I've got three boys, three boys, three sons and, and, and a daughter. And at the time, my eldest son was about um, 12. He started playing and he, you know, he followed in my footsteps to a degree, a lot better than me. And... Um, he started playing a sport, but the team we um, he played for was about six, seven miles away. So we were traveling all the way backwards and forwards. But it was an excellent team called 1066 Conquerors, run by a really, really nice guy. Um, and then the guy who was running it, and you know, um, he ran the under under 12s team, the under 14s team, uh, it was under 18 and a men's team. He was running it all by himself. Uh, and he said, look, he had a parents meeting one day and he had all the parents there and everything, All the, you know, and, and he said, right, I can't do it all by myself. He said, I need some help from the parents. Um, who's going to help? Um, and no parents put a hand up. So I, I just put my hand up and said, look, I'll help. And that's how I first initially got into it with, with my um, eldest son. Um, so we started playing for his this, this other team, 1066 Conquerors, but it was it was quite a way away, you know, to say about um, six, seven miles away. And this is when we lived in, in Sussex and there were no buses or what have you. Um, so I decided yeah, after a couple of years time just to set my own team up, uh, which was basically set up from, um, we used to go to a youth club and I just invited some kids down just to play, have some fun. And the first week we had three kids and then the following week we had about 15 and it just grew from there. Um, and, and, and from that time, yeah, the Bexhill Giants grew and um, we had a girls team when my daughter played. I had, I had a junior team where my two younger boys played and an un, under 18s where my eldest son played. Um, yeah, and it was, it was you know, I, I enjoyed it and I've got some other coaches in and what have you. But I, I realised that with, with sport and with basketball, I, I wanted to do something a bit more than just the guys going out and playing and, and winning or losing. We weren't very good initially. Um, so we did things whereby we, we went off and we played the Welsh national team or we um, went out and we played, um, went out to, to Mallorca one year and we played, you know, took the guys all out to Mallorca and we played um, three um, teams out there in these massive, beautiful stadiums and um, you know, we had TV crews following us because I don't know why. Um, um, and, you know, we went to Holland and we played in this tournament called the World Youth Games. Um where we, we got to the semi-finals, and it's so I, I felt basketball was although it's a really good sport, it was it was a vehicle to help educate a lot of the young guys and help put them in the right direction and um, and you know give them an an, an input into something they've never seen. So a lot of the guys have never ever travelled. A lot of the young guys when we went to um, to Mallorca, um, there were, a lot of the guys were like seventeen, eighteen, and quite a few of them have never ever been abroad. Um, so that was that was re- a really good experience. So they can go and play basketball, but ha- have a look at another country, you know, another culture. Um, and it was also very eye-opening to see how other countries invest in their sports. Um, we we played um, a, a one team, I think it's called Alcudia, I think it was. I can't think what they were called. Uh, and they we were we you know it was really good because we, we what we did we I got coaches for we had coaches that took us to the games and what have you. 
And because we stayed in a tourist hotel, a lot of the tourists were saying, well, what, you know, where are you going? Not the English tourists. You know, what are you doing? We said, we're a basketball team. So can we come and watch the games? So they would come with us. Um, and we went into this, this one um, venue and we were going up this hill into these mountains and literally there were sheep and what have you around. And, and we thought, where are we going? And we turned up at this fantastic purpose-built sports centre. It was absolutely fantastic. And it was an eye-opener to, to see the venues they've got out there. And all the local community came out to support the kids. And um, their coach was saying, said, if your child plays for this team and you work for a company or if you own a company, you have to sort of get that company to, to invest in this team because it's for the community. And all of the community were there. You know, the mayor was there. And, and, and they really get behind their sports out in a lot of these other countries where – you know, we, we didn't really do that in the UK. So it was quite an eye-opener to see how the local community were. All the, all the various teams were, you know, we, we played. We played three teams out there. And everyone, the community were there. They made it a bit of a festival. They welcomed us. And it was, it was a really good experience for the young lads. So, you know, my, my, my um, you know, my, my thought process was let's, let's make this more than just a basketball team where we go and play. Let's make it an experience where the guys can develop and learn and grow as people and individuals. And it's, it's really good to see a lot of the players now. They're all grown men with their own kids and they're all doing well. Um, and we still, you know, communicate. And they said, remember that time we did that? And remember that time we went to Holland and we had a great time? And, you know, some of them are teachers and they're um, policemen and what have you, or they've got their own businesses. So it's really, you know, I, I'm quite pleased that I was integral in their, their development as people um uh into, into young adults and now into you know middle-aged men now they're all 30s so yeah and, and and that's why i started the vexal giants i've always had this this um sort of thought process that that sport is bigger than just sport to a degree it's a testament to you for having the initiative of wanting to take this team abroad invest any time and effort into it and giving them life experiences that they may otherwise not have had yeah yeah and I, I loved it i loved it really enjoyed it so with the with the team um, for anyone who might be interested in starting a team or has a team themselves or even just interested, what was the what's the process behind creating a new team from scratch and joining a league? Um we we, we have the, the, the regulation the regulators of the um uh basketball in the UK is obviously basketball England and it was just a case of filling in an application form to actually you've got you've got basketball England who govern everything and then all the um regions are split so um at the time i was in sussex and i had we just joined the sussex league and so we just went in there you know we said i want to put an under 14 team under 18 team so we just joined the sussex league uh we had to have a venue we had to have qualified coaches so um, i had to get qualifications and a few other guys had to get qualifications as well um and, and that was it really we had to pay an entry fee uh and then you have to pay fees for each individual player and insurance for each individual player. Um, and again, that's quite costly because you have to pay all of this stuff before you join the league. So you're not too sure what players you're going to have. So a lot of the, lot of the funding comes out of your own pocket, um, which, which I didn't initially mind. But um, And a lot of the players, um, again, it's not about making money or anything at all. But a lot of the players can afford it. So I paid a lot of the, they, the guys, I paid their fees. You know, if, I'm not going to... Um, nullify someone because they can't afford to play if they want to play so you know I, I used to pay for a lot of the guys you know I pay for guys to go and go on his tours to Holland and and and, and Mallorca and what have you because I didn't want them to miss out on the experience but 
yeah, you just join um, the local um, league, and then you join, then you become a member of Basketball England. But you have to have you have to have coaches and and um, various um, people who can do the score table and what have you and a venue. Um, but it's quite straightforward, actually. It's quite a straightforward process. And you've mentioned the coaching, um, and it's a lead us nicely into the transplant process. Personally, I became a cricket coach about six months before my transplant happened. Did the coaching become more important for you, the closer it got to your transplant, in the sense that, I mean, for me anyway, um, it was sort of a feeling of, I love playing sport, love being involved. Um, but there was sort of that slight feeling at the back of my mind thinking, am I going to be able to do this to the same, to the best that I could before? And am I going to have the chance to to play properly again? But we still want to stay involved. So I became a coach to hold on to that and still give myself a chance to stay involved afterwards. Yeah. Was it similar for you? Yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, because I, I, you know, I was a lot older. I was, I think I was, in, I think I was 40, blimey. Uh, forty six was it when I had my transplant? Um, but I I was ill for quite a while. You know, the the kidney disease is setting in my um. I think it's about thirty eight when it set in. Um, and they said degenerative. Yeah, so it's it's about sort of eight years um between being diagnosed and having a transplant. So I was still playing. Um, but when I was playing, I was I was I didn't realize at the time I was getting a little more tired. Um. You know, and I, and I thought oh, I was really good sort of thing at the time, playing with all these young guys. Um, but I was getting a lot more tired and that. So I decided to to, to just become a coach. Um, quite a few times I was quite, um, I did consider saying, look, this, this, I'm, getting, I'm getting too tired, call it a day. But when you've got like 25, 30 people who rely on you. So, yeah, the coaching became more important to me. Um, the closer I got to my transplant and when they, when they did say I needed the transplant, um, I was still still involved in the game. I was still involved, just but only from a coaching aspect. I I, I didn't play, um, you know, one because like I, I was getting older. Two, a lot of the guys were a lot better than me, and I I you know didn't want to take up anyone's spot really. Um, so the the coaching aspect and the the, the organising and the hosting aspect, uh, which we'll probably t- touch on later on when you know getting the international teams over, that became more important to me than actually playing, because um, I knew my my time was up really. It's a good way to stay involved, and I found it rewarding. Actually, really enjoyable. Mm, yeah, it's, it, it was um, at, at the time when I um, pretty jumping forward a little bit. When I um, had my transplant, I, I used to live in Sussex. But when I had my transplant, I was travelling to and from work every day from Sussex to London. Um, it was a two-hour journey each way. Um, so what I used, to, and then when I, I was still when I moved up here, I was still travelling back to, to Sussex for games. So I finished work get on a train, go all the way to Sussex, meet the guys at the train station, go to the game, finish the game, go back to the train station, come all the way back to, to, to London, to Bromley, and not get back till midnight. Um, and it just became a toll. And, and so um, I got another coaching. There was another guy called Steve Judd, who was a fantastic guy. He started to take over the coaching, and I became more of a remote coach. I would organise all the players. I would organise the fixtures and the, the, the finances and what have you to make sure you know, that we had a team, that we had a venue, uh, you know, I would liaise with the other team to make sure everything was all okay. But Steve was then taking the team to games and coaching them. Um, so I became more remote, the the, the the more degenerative my condition got because it was just too much travelling to London and back for the games. Um, and in it, 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 you know, to be a fair, uh, in, in his fairness, Steve 
was a better coach to me as well because they we we got to you know we, we came second in the league and we got to cup finals and stuff and I was like well you guys didn't do that when I was I was there <laughs> what's all that about you know so um um yeah so the 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 the, the um more tired and ill I got um, although I didn't know it at the time, you know, you probably don't know yourself. You think you're okay, but it's only when you get the transplant, you suddenly go, hold on a minute, I was really ill. Um, Absolutely. I, 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 I took, um, yeah, I did travel to games and what have you. I, I would just sort of get people to text me the scores at, at the end of each quarter and what have you. Um, so, which was a shame. I, I did miss the interaction of being at the game and, you know, cheering and shouting. I did go to some games, but it just got a bit too much sometimes. So going on to your transplant process, we'll go right back to the start. You said you first started to have kidney problems in your 30s. Yeah. When did you first find out? What was the, the trigger or the point where you realised? Um, well, I, I started, for some reason, started getting really bad headaches. Um, and I didn't know why. I just had these blinding headaches and, and nausea. And it was like vertigo. And I, I didn't know what was going on for, for quite a while. I just, you know... Um, and then one day I was at my, my old company and um, I was in the office and I just had this almighty blinding headache um, and felt really ill. And um, and I went home and the ambulance, the, you know, the ambulance man came out, you know, with my ex-wife at the time. And he actually called an ambulance and they came out and they checked my, they said, no, he's only got a headache. But then they checked my blood pressure and it was sky high. And they said, we're taking you in uh, to hospital. And they did loads of tests. And then they found I had um, protein in my urine. And that was the first, and I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. They just, you know, the, the, the doctor just said, you know, you've got protein in your urine, you're leaking protein. We'll keep an eye on it. Because at that time, it was very low, the, the milligrams I was losing. Um, and that was the first uh, indication back in, oh, God, bloody hell, about 2004, 2005. Um, so, you know, I didn't think much of it. And then they, uh, you know, when I saw um, a renal, um um, so surgeon, a really nice guy called Dr. Igo. And he said to me, um, you know, he said, right, what would you, I'd go and see him every three months. And it hadn't set in then, uh, what was going on. And he said, look, you, you've got protein here. Let's take your blood test, check your urine. And every time I went and saw him, he said, you're leaking more urine in, you're leaking more protein into your urine. Uh, and it was only one time I went and saw him. He said that you may need a kidney transplant. And when he said that it, it still didn't register. I thought people like me don't get kidney transplants. You're not talking to me. You're talking to someone else. You know, that doesn't relate to me. And I kept on going back to him. Um, and he kept saying, look, you're still leaking loads and loads of protein. You know, it's probably going to be a chance you're going to need a kidney transplant. And I had loads of medication and what have you to, to try and slow it down. Um, and then I, I, I um, moved to London. Um, and my ex-wife and I um, separated. I moved to London. Um, and um, I had to go to Guy's Hospital, transfer to Guy's Hospital. Um, and um, the, the doctor there, Dr. Patterson, he said, you know, and this was, that, was, that was about 2000 and, so that was 2006, 2007. And it, I moved to London in about 2000 and, blimey, um, must have been about two, 2010. Um, maybe less, maybe more, yeah, 2010, 2012. And, and, and the, the condition had just degeneratively worse uh, and that's when I, I um, went and saw um, I was going to see the doctor and he just said to me um, you're going to need a kidney in in a year and that was 2000 2010 yeah it was 2010 um, no, 2009 sorry yeah 2009 yeah he said you're going to need a, a kidney in a year 
and and again, it didn't resonate because you know, I said you're not you're not talking to me. You know, I don't need a kidney. I'm fine. And he said you're going to need one. Yeah, within a year because my my kidney function had got down to about, um, I think it was about three percent. Um, but what I didn't know that um, when with um, uh, people of, of of you know a BME race, a black uh, and Asian, what have you the kidney function can get down to about 1% in it because you'll still function okay and you don't need a transplant or dialysis. Whereas in, um, you know, um, um, white people, European people, I think the kidney function can get down to about 4% and you need, they need um, dialysis. But I didn't know that. And he said to me, you know, your kidney function down to about, you know, 1%. Do you know why that is? I don't know. Mine was down to eight when I had my transplant and I yeah. was on the, on the verge of dialysis. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it was three. Yeah, yeah, mine got really down, and he said, "You know, you're not going to need it now." He said, "Down to about one percent, two percent." I was like, "Really?" Um, I, I I don't know why that is. No one's ever sort of given me a medical reason for that, so I probably might need to do a bit of a investigation into that. Really, if anyone does know what that is, then please get in touch on social media or uh, email transplanttakeonsport at gmail dot com. I'm curious to find out now. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very strange. And yeah, so you know, he said you need a kidney, and um, you know, I, was, I was with my new, new new partner at the time, and um, I came home from the hospital, and she said, "You're okay, wouldn't you?" Because I I never. One thing about men, you're pretty very similar to me. We don't say anything's wrong. We go, "Yeah, it's fine, not a problem." And I was like, "Yeah, it's fine, not a problem." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, what did he say? And I went, uh, "He said I need a kidney." <laughs> very sort of matter of fact, and she just went, "Oh, you know, Mandy, my partner, my wife, Mandy said I'll do it." She went, yeah, I'll, I'll do it," and I didn't want her to do it. Because he had, he had explained to me what she would have to do. You have you have to have dyes inserted in you and all the various uh, invasive procedures and what have you. And I didn't want her to do it. And I said, no, I said, I'd rather have dialysis or a kidney from um, someone who died uh, than having her go through that. And and I think initially when I said that, it did hurt her because there she's trying to save my life. And I'm going, nope, I don't want your help. And and that did hurt her quite a lot. Um, so we had, you know, a few sort of arguments about it. Um, I was adamant that she wasn't going to do it. And plus she had to speak, you know, she, she's she got family as well. So she spoke to her mum, her sister and, and what have you and friends. And uh, and, and again, they, they didn't really want her to do it because she's putting herself in a position to be ill. Um, and, you know, so, but, you know, she, she agreed to it. And, um, fortu- you know, fortunately... And January the fifteenth, um, two thousand and ten, we we went and had the transplant, and uh, yeah, it was all everything was all, all okay, um, apart from the fact um, after the transplant, which which you know filled me with total guilt, is that you know Mandy had an infection in her wound, and it was um, yeah you know she was quite ill, and I felt so guilty after that. You know, I thought, look, I've I've done that to you. And and but again, what you may would have found after you had your transplant, I didn't realise how ill I was. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it was only when I had the transplant I was like, bloody, hell, I feel, I feel, you know, I feel really good. Yeah. You know, and um, and you know, my 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 mum, bless her, you know, they they said, do not come and see the person, do not come and see him after they've had the transplant. Leave it a couple of days because they're going to be ill. But my mum, you know, she she was seventy odd at the time. She didn't listen to anyone and. Um, she came and I was in intensive care because I think when, because 
the kidney Mandy gave me, it's still, every time I go to hospital now, they say, that kidney's fantastic. It's the best part of you. That kidney's still doing well. It's really strong. Apparently, when, when I had Mandy's kidney, um, because it was so strong, apparently it released, my, my heart released enzymes that it, it, it appeared like I had a, a heart attack. Um, so I was in intensive care. And um, when my mum came and saw me, and I, you know, and like you, you, you obviously know I had tubes and wires hanging out of me and bleeping machines. And my mum looked at me, because she saw Mandy first, and Mandy came down with her. Um, and my mum looked at me and she went, Eric, that is the best I've seen you look for ages. Mandy, you'll get better. <laughs> and I always, remember that, I always remember those words thinking, I'm lying in intensive care with wires and tubes and everything. I expected the, because I've seen, read other people's stories before mine. I expected the intensive care and all the tubes and wires. I mean, I had sort of tubes coming out, but I didn't, there was no intensive care. I was recovery back to the ward. Um, and I didn't have, listeners will have to visualize this. You see a lot of people, photos after transplant, they've got, apologies if you're squeamish, um, they've got like a, a tube in the neck. Yeah, yeah, I, I had that, yeah. I didn't have any of that. I'm oh. not sure why. Yeah, I've still got the scar to prove it. Yeah, I, I had the, the line in my neck, and I think I had oxygen as well, and um, yeah, various bits, and obviously had the, the was it the cannulas? That's it, the cannulas in yeah. your hand, and all the rest of it. Yeah, I, I had all of that, and um, yeah, you know, my my mum just looked at me and said, "Eric, that's the best you look for ages." Because what I what I didn't know because my kidney was failing and I, I was getting worse and uh, and, and, and iller. My, the, the color um, had drained out of my skin. I, I looked very grey, but I hadn't because it had been going on for years and years and years. Uh, and I had these really dark um, bags under my eyes. And I, you know, when I look back at photographs now, I can see it, but at the time I hadn't noticed it. Um, so when my mum saw me, I, you know, I, I had a bit more color and I looked a bit more lively and what have you. So, but yes, yeah, only when I look back now and I think, bloody, I did look really ill because it's just been a gradual decline over a number of years um but um yeah so you know things are things are really really good now um you know it's 11 years on we celebrated 11 years um yeah january the january the 15th congratulations was, uh, thank you very much which, which was great although i was in hospital then for the, <laughs> for the other thing <laughs> um but um and, and I, I i what i what i find um really hard is i i, I try to i can't thank Mandy enough and I try and do that and she just goes anyone would have done it she always says this to me and it, it drives you mad a bit. she goes anyone would have done it and I said to her no but they won't I, I, you know a lot of people loads and loads of people wouldn't do what you've done and like m- many donors they're quite matter of fact they're just like well anyone would have done it but they, they, they don't um, and I'm not I'm not criticising anyone people have got their own choices um, and, and they have their own reasons for not doing things Um I don't think I can ever show my gratitude, and that's where I always feel a bit guilty. I can't really say, you know, um, you know, you know, we were before it happened. You know, I said, "What do you want?" You know, any, you know, what do you want? She just went, "I want a packet of pork scratchings." You know, so <laughs> and it was, so we, we have this thing every 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 anniversary. You know, we do a packet of pork scratchings just for a laugh. But um, yeah, I, I just feel that you know I can never sort of thank her enough, really, and and uh, my family are the same. Um, you know what? What can you you know what can you say to someone who's basically saved your life, sort of thing? It is difficult to put into words. I think yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people I've spoken to, feel the same. It's yeah, it's just it's very difficult to to articulate how you feel because it is not it's something that not 
a lot of people have to go through. Someone, a lot, well, family member or the unfortunate passing of somebody else mm-hmm. coming in to save your own life, save your life. It just, it is, if you were told that when you were younger, it is a bizarre circumstance to be in. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is, and um, you know, and, and, and you know what what's what's even even stranger the the that we were because you know Mandy's white and I'm black, and and her the match we had, they said it was like a a, a, a familial match, like we were sort of family, which was very strange. Um, you know, it's, I think we were two point two 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 match or something, which which was a, an extra match. Um. So we, we've broken down some myths, and that's why we sort of do some awareness, we do some talks and what have you, because I think a lot of people didn't think that could actually happen. Uh, they could have two people of, you know, different ethnicities, um, you know, donating. So we, we've, you know, we, we, we've sort of broken down that barrier to a degree, and we do talk about it quite a lot, and we do various, you know, um, newsletters or what have you. But that was something that that's that was um, quite a surprise, because that's why, and, and again, when... Mandy said she was going to donate, and I said, "Well, it's, it's not going to happen anyway. It won't happen. You won't be able to do- donate to me, you know." Um, and then when they did the test, um, and they said she was well, well, they, they they did all the testing, and they called Mandy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And they told her, you know, I, I was because we worked for the same company at the time, and um, I was at my desk, and she came running up in, into the office, smiling and beaming, and she went, "We're a match, we're a match." And when she told me that, I was quite disappointed because I didn't want her to be a match. It sounds strange, but and I was like, Ugh. "But um, yeah." So that's that was really weird, you know. They said you you're, you're a perfect match, and it's all gone fine. So yeah, you know, 
11 years later, still, it's taken a licking and it's still ticking, fortunately. I think that'll be encouraging for anyone else in your position that yeah. that can happen, you can get a match. Sorry yeah. to go back, if you don't mind me asking, what was yeah. the uh, the cause of your kidney failure? Well, they, 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 they called it sclerosis of the kidney, so... Where where the kidney has got loads of um, little um, little channels in there, all those um, and the channels are, are, take the toxins away. Um, the channels are furred up, apparently. So, and what was happening? The instead of taking the toxins away, it was taking the proteins. Every time I was I was using the loo, the protein was coming out of my body and going in my urine. So all the goodness was going out of my body basically, and that was due to the um, the furring up of the kidneys. And they don't know why it happened. Um, they can't can't put their finger. They said, you know, I you know, I said because I I did I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I played sport virtually all my life. Um, you know, kept myself relatively fit. And and I felt quite, you know, when they said, I said, what? Why has it happened to me? Uh, and they said, sometimes your body just attacks itself. And I felt quite angry. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did feel quite angry when that happened because. And I was told that because you walk down the road and you see someone sort of smoking and eating a McDonald's and, you know, overweight or what have you. And I would feel quite angry for, for a long time. I thought, well, why am I going through this when you're, and I, sh- I shouldn't have felt this way. I don't now, but at the time it was, it was, you know, I felt, why am I being penalised? But um, yeah, they just said it was, um, yeah, throwing up in the kidneys and they don't know why. Um, I, I've got a twin brother who lives in Canada now and, and he, has got a, quite a similar condition, but his isn't as advanced as mine. Um, but they don't, it's not hereditary because no one else in my family, it's just me and my twin brother um, have got this. So, um, but yeah, his has been managed, fortunately, by medication. That's good. It's interesting saying it's not passed through the family because I'm the only one in my family that we know of. Obviously, my mum's been tested for donation. My dad was tested. My uncle was tested. And my sister got tested just to make sure she didn't have it. And nobody else has got it. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? It's, and again, like you, I'm a non-drinker, non-smoker, sport all the time, yeah. athletic. And yeah, it is it's strange to think. I read in your story that um, you got married a year after you transplant to Mandy. Yes, I did. Did the, the transplant and the fact that she donated make your wedding even more special? It did. Because um, my, my twin brother came over from Canada. It was a really nice day. Um, all my family were there, and, and you know, my children were there, and what have you. Um, and and I I I had this speech. I made this really nice speech, and you know, it's meant to be joking, it's meant to be funny. And I thought, yeah, you know, me and my twin brother worked on it the night before. We said, yeah, well, you know, we're giving like a comedy duo. We are, you know. Um, and I got up to do the speech, and I just looked out at everyone, and I just cried. I literally just blubbed like a baby. Um, and I think that's when it really dawned on me that I might not have been there. Um and, and and that that really sort of hit home. It you know really, really did. I'm getting a bit emotional about it now. Um you know and it's just this um yeah, you know, and, and you know and seeing Mandy sitting there and um and you know and her family and everyone it just it really really did just you know I just stood up and now I was ready to deliver my my great funny speech. Um, I just looked at all these faces looking at me and that was it. I just, I just broke down and just cried my eyes out and I said, I'm really sorry. I'm just glad everyone's here and I'm alive to see it. And, um, you know, Mandy got up and she just carried on and did her little funny speech and got laughed. People laughed at her and they didn't laugh at me. They laughed at me probably crying. Um, 
but yeah, it, it really made it such an emotional day, uh, emotional occasion. Um, you know, um, yeah, and 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 and, and we we've, we've we've made lots of made lots of friends since then as well. You know, on, on the back of our journey, which which is all all the all the better. But yeah, that was such a such a very emotional emotional day. You know, have, you know, so I. I'm still friends with a lot of, lot of guys I went to school with when I was like 13 and 14 when we were really young and seeing all those guys there and um, it was a very emotional and, and, and lovely day. And the fact that my twin brother came over from Canada as well um, as my best man um, was, was, was great, you know, and that was what made it even more special as well. So it's so nice to hear. And does Mandy now with donating your kidney, she got an instant win in any, any disagreements now? All the time, um, <laughs> all the time. She goes, "I gave you a kidney," you know. Um, yeah, you know, I think one of the things I said actually early when I said, uh, um, "I'll make when you when, when you give me the kidney, I'll make the, I'll buy you a bag of pork scratchings, and I'll also make the tea all the time." So whenever she wants a cup of tea, she just sits there and looks at me, um, and um, yeah, I have to get up and make the tea, which is a very small price to pay, really. <laughs> oh yeah, very absolutely. We'll we'll come on for the transplant. We'll come on to after that now and. Sport and achievements afterwards. Is it you stopped playing sport after your transplant? Yes. Was it a difficult decision? No, I, I was. I was in my forties. Excuse me. Um, I was. I was. You know, getting to my forties. Um, when I was when I was diagnosed with, with you know kidney disease, I knew. And I was in my late thirties, and I knew my time was up. I think you can sometimes tell the knees were getting a little bit, um, you know, um, painful after games. So um, I, I, I. Once I had the transplant, um, I still wanted to be in the game. So I think the first thing I did, I had the transplant in the January and I had, I held a tournament in, I think it was about the, the May time when I was feeling a lot better. Um, I held my first, the first, one of the first tournaments um, and it was in a Kidney Research UK. And it was, um, you know, they sent loads of banners down and what have you. And, um, you know, we raised lots of money and it was then that I thought that's the direction I want to take. In going into a bit of hosting and and um, doing events, because so, yeah, I knew my 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 playing days were were over, um, really. And um, it's like you know, everyone you know, you get to a certain stage and you think that's it. Um, and and they also said to me, I don't know if if, if you know, it's been said to you. They said um, that I should give up sport because if I get hit in the kidney, I could damage it, and that always played a um, playing at the back of my mind as well. I haven't had that. I've yeah. been told to. Um... Wear extra protection. With, yeah, with I was, yeah, I was told. Yeah, you know, and you said what sport do you play? I said I play, you know, basketball. And they said, well, you know, we we suggest you sort of don't really play it because if you get hit in the kidney, it could damage it. Um, it may well be they just said that because I was quite an old person. Um, but yeah, so that that was always at the back of my mind. So um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I, I slowed it down. I st- I still. Um, used to go to the park and play play with my sons and what have you. You know, we used to go. There's a park around the corner where we used to go into and shoot around and what have you. Um, but um, playing it officially in in, in a team, um, no, no, this, yeah, no, you know. And, and I knew, as I said before, I knew my time was up. Really. So the hosting, which you have gone on to do, you now host. You founded and you host the. The World Club Basketball Tournament, which I read, is the UK's number one international basketball tournament. Yeah, it's it's, it's the UK's only international basketball tournament now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that 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 came about. Um, basically, yeah, with the Bechtel Giants, as I mentioned earlier, how I wanted to do something outside of the box and have more of a um, uh, the experience. And you know, what better experience is there than playing against international competition uh, on your doorstep, where your family can come and see you play? So um, you know, there's, there was. Um, a team called USA Select who used to come round quite used to, every year. They used to come round to the UK, and basically the premise of USA Select were they they came over to the UK and they used to go to Holland, I think, and um, Norway with a group of about um, twenty thirty players, um, and they used to play exhibition games with the premise that some of these guys were going to get picked up by these teams in Europe, and they're going to get professional contracts. Um, you know, I think as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, whereby a lot of the European teams now they're getting USA players, and USA players are getting a bit nudged out. So, um, yeah, this USA Select organization they 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 come out every they come out every September, and they spend three weeks in Europe, and they play games um, virtually every single day, and to showcase the players, um, so the players can get contracts. And I I just saw. And they play all the B, all the professional teams, all the BBL teams, you know, Newcastle Eagles, Leicester Riders, um, London Lions, what have you. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw that. I thought, well, that's quite interesting. I said, I wonder if they'd be up for playing my little local team, Bexley Giants. So they probably won't, but I'll, I'll email them. So I emailed their um, their director, um, really nice guy called Sean Kilmartin. I said, look, I've seen you guys are coming to the UK in September. Would you fancy playing my team uh, in an exhibition? And he said, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we're up for it. You know, and I was like, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> and um, so, you know, they came over and we, we had uh, an exhibition game with them, uh, which was really, really good in, in Hastings. Um, uh, had loads of fans out, you know, advertised on social media, um, you know, and had loads of fans out because people in, in, in Hastings had never seen a USA team. And these guys were very, very talented. You know, they all played at top universities and what have you. Um, they'd never seen a, a team like that, and they brought two teams over to, to Hastings. Um, and you know, they, they played my team, Bexel Giants, absolutely annihilated us, which was unexpected. But it was a really good occasion. You know, we had a DJ there, we had a commentator. I wanted to make it such a really good experience. Um, and then you know, they, they really enjoyed themselves as well. And then, um, I think the year after that, we had another team who had seen what USA selected done, a team from um, Canada. Um, they were coming over to the UK. Uh, and they were run by a guy called Sean Laux, uh, Albany um, uh, um, ABA Toronto Knights. Uh, again, I just sort of contacted them. Do you want, would you want to come and play my team? And they said, yep. So they came over, played in a, a tournament that I organised, a four-team tournament in, in Bexhill, which was um, good fun. And there was another thing called Lake Michigan Admirals. Um, and this is going back in, oh, blimey, it's like two, 2000 and, about 2011, 12 um, 13 time and um, there's another team called Lake Michigan Edwards who were coming over and they had a guy called Bob Wenger in their team and Bob Wenger is the, the tallest professional athlete he was 7 foot 7 foot 9 I think he is huge um, yeah absolutely giant um, and Bob came over they came over and you know they they, they, said they, went, they they actually contacted me and said look we've seen what you've done with the Canadian team and the USA Select can we come over and play so um, we had had an, organised another tournament with those guys um, and some other UK teams, and then the following year they all wanted to come back, and it's proving too expensive. You know, I thought, how can I host all these teams? It's, it's you know too hard to organise and get you know and fit it all in the calendar. 
so I decided to. Um, I thought well, it was it was around about Christmas time, and I thought, well, you know, what can I do? And I, I just came to my head. I thought, oh no, I'll, I'll organise a tournament, invite those teams in the tournament, and see if there's any UK teams that want to get involved as well. So I came up with this this concept, and and it took me back to the Crystal Palace days when when um, I mentioned earlier with the um, tournament my brother and I used to go and watch with all the international teams. I thought well, I'll try and organise a tournament similar to that. Yeah. So I came up with the concept of the World Club. Um, basketball tournament and invited all those teams invited loads and loads of teams from around the world just via social media um put a poster up and said you know international tournament in september who wants to get involved and um that's how it it, it started um again it was hosted in hastings um and uh, you know there's some hotels locally that we got the guys in um got some sponsorship from um, various clothing apparel companies um and it took a lot of organizing very stressful um trying to get teams from you know i had a team from representing the philippines and usa you know the usa usa and germany and it's it's very rewarding um very stressful on the day um when it's over it's a massive sigh of relief um but the, the whole point of it was to um raise funds and awareness for kidney research uh, as well, and, and other kidney organisations. So I made sure I had kidney banners, and and before the tournament starts, I tell them my story. I tell I get all the players, and I tell them my story, and I say that I had a kidney transplant, you know, and, and and explain it. And we have um the main focus is 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 to try and get the UK teams to sign onto the organ donation register. So we have lots of banners, and we have lots of leaflets and what have you there. So when I share my story, it, it it's the hearing a personal story. Because um, I think if I hadn't been through it, they'll just go, oh, he's talking rubbish, but I can tell them my story. So, And, and fortunately, we've had, um, you know, people um, have, have put money into it and they've sponsored us and guys have gone away and taken the, the organ donation register and they've signed up. And that is the main thing. I always, I always advocated that if I get one guy signing up to be an organ transplant donor, it's a success. And um, a lot of guys signed up to, so um, yeah, to, to, to be organ do- donation um, you know, to, to go on the organ donation register, and even the, I do the blood, um, uh, you know, blood donor as well. Because um, I think, I think, yeah, when you when you get it down to a granular, personal story, and guys are standing there looking at me, thinking this guy's just organised a tournament and he's had a kidney transplant. His wife standing next to him, who gave him the kidney. You know, let, let's let's give something back. Powerful. Um, yeah, and, and I think that that's where it hits home. We, you know, let's give something back to, to this, this guy. He's organised all this lot. What's what's it going to hurt? So, yeah, and and it's it's you know, I had the first year I had um, someone came down, one of the, another kidney transplant um, patient came down. I can't think of his name now. And he gave his story, which is really powerful as well. And then um, I had um, Becky from the kidney transplant on um, one of the fundraisers. She came down. Uh, and she stayed all day, and it was really, really good. It's really, good. and she just went around talking to all the players, and telling them what she does, and sharing my story, and, and it's really, really good. Because um, it's more than basketball. It's, it's the, the tournament is one element. It's, it's a very small element, but it, it's 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 all about having fun. Guys meeting each other from around the world. A lot of guys have made friends from around the world, but it's about organ donation. That's 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 the main crux of it. Um, you know, and 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 showing people that um, once you've had 
a transplant, it's not the end of your life. Because a lot of people think, you know, oh, he's had a transplant, you know, he should be sitting in a corner on a wheelchair or what have you, but I'm still standing, I'm still fighting, I'm still there. And I think um, once people see that, and, and it's also sharing the story that although I've had a kidney transplant, I may need another one. Um, my kids may need one, you know, people, that, people in their family may need one. So I do say that in, in my sort of opening sort of speech, you know, it's, it's about anyone in your family may need, a, need an organ donation. Um, I didn't know I needed one. So it's all about, you know, you guys can do your part by signing on to the organ donation. And also the spectators, there's lots of spectators there as well. Um, and we, we have a very good media team who do videos and what have you. And, um, and they're all out there on social media. So people can still look at those now retrospectively and go, you know what, I'm going to join. You know, I'm going to become an organ donor. So it's all about um, leaving a footprint. Um, but I, I felt that... Um, also, because I had a kidney and I was grateful to be alive, I needed to give something back. That, that was my responsibility. I couldn't just go, I've had my kidney, great, I'm off. Um, you know, what can I use? Basketball is a vehicle for me, so I'm going to use that vehicle to to spread the word. It's amazing what you're doing as well. It, it looks like such a good event. And as you said, you're raising awareness for organ donation and it's working. You're finding people to sign up to the register. you sharing your story people are being impacted and touched by it do you know how much you've raised for the kidney charities it's over the years oh blimey um it's kidney research uk i think it's about about three thousand pounds incredible years. well done yeah yeah i, I wish it was more I'm, I'm, unfortunately one of, one of the downsides of, of hosting this event and I, I it's an argument i have quite often with the venue and and and, and sort of um certain the councils what have you can you reduce the price for us because it's for charity now a little bit like no uh, and it's, it's a bit of an argument i i have um you know um, slightly digressive when i say to them that we're bringing revenue into the town i'm bringing 150 players from around the world to the town you know you've got these videos they all go to the restaurants what can you give us back and sometimes they're a little bit you know uh, they have given some discount but I would like to get a bit more so more money can go into the charity aspect of it. Um, ideally, I would, you know, again, the, the strange thing is I was talking to a guy um, uh, who, who runs a tournament in Greece um, who I partnered with, and, and he said, in Greece, they give the venue for free. He said, you know, you, you're, we, you know you're bringing tourism to the town. All the restaurants are going to be used. So the venue is free of charge. And, in England, we've got to get that mentality, I think. I think we're still a little bit behind. We, we, the English mentality sometimes is we've got to get that money in. If we And, and I, I totally understand they've got targets to achieve and what have you. And But the flip side of it is if they give us the venue at a reduced rate or, or what have you, they get all the food that they get, it gets sold out. You know, they sell everything out, all the food gets sold out. And, and so they're making that money back by having all the spectators and the players. That's just my little gripe that... that if I wasn't, if, if the um, outgoings weren't as high, we'd have more money for the charity we're trying to, to raise for. So that's just my little moan. <laughs> long, long may the, the fundraising continue. Long may the tournament continue. Thank you. And isolating the, the tournament on its own, the basketball on its own, um, yeah. it sounds like quite a high standard. Do you get some yeah. of the, the big names of basketball coming? 
yeah, we we we've had um, what's a lot of the, not not the, well, we've had a lot of the BBL players, guys, top guys who play in the, the British Basketball League, um, who actually play um, some guys who are playing, you know, for London London Lions and top teams like that, you know, um, and we had um, a guy who played in the NBA for Washington Wizards, um, played two years, um, he played for the Toronto Knights. Um, uh, what's his name now? Oh, I can't remember that. Jay, can't remember his second name now. Um, you know he played for the he played in the summer league for the Washington Wizards, and um, and then he he came and, and played in the tournament. You know we've had guys in the in the BBL. We've had um, you know got Sam Tolawose. He was a Nigerian international. Um, we've we've some of the teams we've had. We had a team last year called the Kings of Congo. Um, and they're a French team of, of um, Congolese descent, and they play in all the top tournaments around the world. Um, there's a massive tournament that, which is played in front of the um, Eiffel Tower called Key 54, and they played in that. And they have um, Michael Jordan, all the Michael Jordan and um, LeBron James, all these guys go to that tournament to watch it. And you know, and the Kings of, Cong- Kings of Congo played in that tournament, and they came and played in my tournament last year. And they contacted me and said, look, we've seen your tournament. We want to play, you know, and they came down. And it was great to have that level of talent there. Um, you know, other teams, you know, teams from the Congo, from Denmark. Um, the team who won it last year were a team called Wolfpack of Denmark. Um, their team plays in the um, Division One of the um, Danish League. But last year, they set the development team, the under-23 side. And I saw, when they walked in, I saw these young lads. I thought, you guys are going to get absolutely hammered. <laughs> You know, they were quite small, they were, you know, quite slight. Um, and, um, yeah, they went and won it because, you know, the, the European style of basketball is very fundamental uh, where they just, they, they know their roles and know their, their, their drills. Whereas the Americans are very athletic. They're very fundamental as well, but the American team is very athletic. They, they um, the Wolfpack Denmark side played a team called um, uh, oh, Kitsap Admirals in the first round uh, of the group games and Kitsap Admirals absolutely annihilated them in the first game and both teams got through to the final and um, the Wolfpack had learned from that first game and they, they annihilated Kitsap Admirals in the final uh, which was which was you know an eye-opener but it was just how they learned um, and developed and they, they, they were very well coached and very you know very well organized but yeah the teams we've had we've had teams yes Congo um, Philippines um, America have lots and lots of American teams come over. Um, New York with um, New York Court Kings. Um, Twenty eighteen, we had a team called Las Vegas Unknown who came over. And I think with the American teams, although uh, I, I I say this quite a lot, the American teams I think they're coming over to showcase their skills still and try and get the professional contact contracts. Right. Um, although I do say, look. Um, you know, the, the coaches are there. There are some coaches who come down and watch and they watch the videos, but I don't sell it as an exposure event um, because I don't want these guys coming over, spending lots of money, thinking they're going to play and play really well. And a coach is going to come and sign them up and say, look, I'm going to give you five grand a month. Um, so, and I think some guys, there are some tournaments that do that around Europe um, and around the world, but I don't want my tournament to be seen as that. My tournament is, is, is a fundraising event. Um, with international teams, um, yeah. you know, so um, yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to have that misconception. But it's a fantastic event. As I said, you know, it's in Hastings, uh, you know, right down in sunny Sussex, 
Um, and the guy, the players that come down from the states, they they love it because they they're down by the sea. They finish the games, they go down by the sea. They see, you know, it's going to the seaside, and then they can jump on the train going to London. Um, you know, and, and it, it's it's just a fun, friendly event. And what I like, what I really like about it, is how all the guys make friends. They all make friends. And I look on social media sometimes, and I see guys who have really made good friends on the back of the tournament. Um, and that's you know, then they're smiling. I look at the photos sometimes. I'm you know, little little look back, and the guys are smiling and having fun. And that's what it's all about as well. Knowing that if I hadn't had this kidney transplant, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, and that's that's what brings it full circle for me. That I've had the kidney transplant. These guys are at, at an international tournament. Um, that my wife and I have come up with the idea of. Um, you know, and I've got a fantastic team of volunteers. You get involved. I couldn't do it without the volunteers. Um, you know, and um, it's it's just it's just fun, and it, it's my way of giving back. You know, and I I think I know it sounds a bit of a, a bit corny and a bit of a cliche. Um. I think that's probably why I had to have the kidney transplant. Sometimes things happen for a reason. Um, and I think that's probably my reason um, to, to give something back. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's, and, and, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's, it, it's my obligation to do that. And um, I've made so many friends through it as well. So many friends I'm going to, you know, I'm going to know for, for, you know, for a lifetime. But, you know, going back to your, to your earlier question, yeah, there's some top players who play and they're playing in, uh, top leagues around the world, they come and play, and play in the tournament and they go off back to the States or back to Europe and they're playing in, in top leagues all around in England and in Italy and France and what have you. Um, obviously, last year it got postponed because uh, of COVID, uh, called off. This year, I think it's going to get cancelled again. But we have to see what Basketball England, um, what they're going to have. Because every year, I get more and more teams contacting me earlier and earlier. So we'll, we'll have to see. I've got teams from Tobago and India and um, America again, just saying, are you having a tournament? But um, it depends on, on basketball England because they've, they've only said that elite sports can be played at the moment. That brings me on, brings on nicely to um, our listener questions. Uh, I I tweeted Instagram, Facebook um, yesterday before we recorded. I'll do this for every episode. So if you do want to get involved and ask you questions, uh Follow the Transparts Take On Sport social media pages. We're on Facebook at Transparts Take On Sport Pod. Instagram is at Transparts Take On Sport Pod. And Twitter is at TTOS Pod. So if you follow that, there'll be a post the day before I record. And you can ask any questions you like. So we had, we had a few come in for you, Eric. Yep. Sounds good. We had um, one you, you pretty much answered. Jamal from the Cobras says, uh, Are we really going to have the tournament in 2021? Which I think you've answered. And it was, we don't know. That that Jamal Jamal is is the guy from um he is from yeah the New York City Cobras um and uh, he emailed me the other day actually bless him um yeah and we don't know I I emailed him and said look Jamal until Basketball England let us know um we won't know hopefully they'll let us know soon but yeah that's that's Jamal Hines from um from yeah New York City Cobras and his cousin plays for Leicester Riders who are in the BBLs which is which is fantastic I would love to have them over here and uh, playing so fingers crossed on that fingers one fingers crossed it goes ahead yes. uh, another one in uh, from Tara uh, do you think it inspires your team that you've overcome so much um, I hope so I hope so I think it does um, you know, because you know they've seen 
I think when I used to sort of coach them and, uh, you know, so when I used to go to games at, all the way across Sussex, you know, they're always really appreciated, appreciative of it. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think it does. And, and, and recently what, what I, the recognition I've got, I think I, I won, um, I think a Sussex Sports Award, um, whenever it was 2018, Volunteer of the Year, which was, which was really fantastic. And a lot of the guys did, you know, send me messages and say, well deserved, you know, and, and, and uh, um, you know, so that, that was, I think, yeah, doing that did inspire them. And a lot of the guys played in, played in my tournaments. They always played, you know, in, in they, they, um, in the WCBT and they used to come up to me after the game and they, you know, want photos with me and they, they thank me for it as well. So I think they are inspired that I've come through, you know, um, what I've come through. Yeah. So I think they are definitely inspired. Yeah. I hope so. How did it feel at your first tournament? The, the, the first tournament, I must admit, um, it was very daunting. It was very busy and very manic. And I, to be honest, I didn't really enjoy it until afterwards because you're just doing so much. You're making sure the teams arrive on time because I, I had a team drop out the day before. It was maybe eight teams and the team dropped out about sort of four o'clock the night before. So it would have, uh, it's normally two two groups of eight, two groups of four, sorry, and his team dropped out. And I was trying to get another team in, which fortunately I did. Um and I was thinking, oh, please, please let them turn up. Please let them turn up. You know, they thought they did, but it's just you don't really enjoy it because you're you're too busy. Yeah. Um So, um, but the, the the very first tournament, which was really good, because my twin brother came over from Canada with his family, um, and his son played. My twin brother's son played in it for for the Bechtel Giants team with my eldest son. So it's my, my, my twin brother's youngest and my, my, you know, my eldest playing in the same team and they won the B tournament, which was really, really good. So that was really good. You know, seeing that, that my, 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 my nephew and my son playing together, but it didn't really, until I got home, we got home, my wife and I, we got home, we sat down, we put all the bags down and we sat down and then that's when you can relax and enjoy it. But at the time it's like, what have I done? The first tournament was, yeah, really, what have I done? You know, cause teams from everywhere and, you know, minibuses not turning up to take to collect teams and food running out and what have you, and you're trying to sort of um, trying trying to organise so many different things. And my my twin brother thought he'd been very very helpful. He kept on bringing people over to me, going, "Eric, this lady wants to know where this is, and this lady wants to know where this is." And he said, oh, "Eric, this lady wants to talk to you." And you know, this young girl went, "The referees are rubbish. Where did you get these referees?" I said, "Tim, why have you brought this woman over to me to complain? I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing?" Um, but yeah, the first tournament was um, was a very steep learning curve, and and I, I learned a lot from that very first one. Yeah, but it, it, it was fun afterwards. And uh, if people want to find out more, where can they find the World Club Basketball Tournament? Um, we we have a website and um, www.worldclubbasketballtournament.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, uh, World Club Basketball Tournament. We're on Twitter. Um, World Club Basketball Tournament uh, on Twitter and also the Bexhill Giants. We've got a Twitter page as well and Facebook. Um, you can find us on World Club Basketball Tournament. Um, you know, I think one, one thing I, I, I sort of missed out as well, um, what we've done, what we, we did last year, because of the success of the event, we had some events out in um, America, uh, had one out in Washington. And before COVID hit, we were going to have events in Denver, Las Vegas. No, we had one in Las Vegas. So we had one in Las Vegas and one in Washington. And the one in Washington had a team from Japan come over. 
Um, so we, we, we branched out into um, different countries, which is really, really good, which wasn't in, initially an intention. But because of the success, people said, look, you've got an international tournament because no one else in the UK does it. Um, you know, and, and because I've got the connections with teams all, all around the world as such now, yeah, in the USA they did it, and, uh, uh, and yeah, in Las Vegas and um, and Washington, and we were say we were going to do one in Omaha, and we were going to do another one in in, in Denver, but then COVID hit, and that scuppered our plans a little bit. It's throwing everything out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, and thinking that you do more fundraising and awareness events with the Bexhill Giants. Um, not not anymore. I used to do the three on three events. I did some three on three basketball events with with the Bexhill Giants back in the day, but the Bexhill Giants that we haven't. Um, we stopped playing now because it, it, it's taking too much of my time because it was down in Sussex and I'm up in London now. Um, so what I tend to do with my time now, I do more um, fundraising stuff at my company. I work for Direct Line Insurance. So we do a lot of fundraising through Direct Line, um, um, which, which is quite good. And um, through various magazines and what have you. But yeah, my company, Direct Line, are very, very good with um, supporting um, the fundraising events. Yeah, the Bexel Giants, that's gone a bit down uh, the wayside. We just do exhibition games now. Um, but, um, yeah, I do fundraising stuff with, with Direct Line Insurance. Um, we do, well, when we were in the office, uh, dress-down days, before we stopped doing dress-down, um, people would come in on dress-down days and put a pound in a pocket bucket and stuff like that. We used to raise thousands on that. Yeah, and quizzes, we did quiz nights and what have you. Um, but yeah, those days are a little bit gone now. Hopefully they come back again soon and yeah. raise more money for various kidney charities that are out there. Uh, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much. It's I've I've said this every week. I learn a lot from every guest. It's it's quite therapeutic in a way. It, it, it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, I, I don't think I, 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 I don't think I, I, I share my story enough. Uh, I think people like to hear it. So I appreciate the time that you're, you've given me. So, you know, people are going to hear this story and and the other stories as well i think that's great i think it's great what you're doing Lewis. thank you a couple more questions before we go yeah would you say you've got a proudest sporting moment uh proudest sporting moment uh one i can probably chuck in one two sorry one is is setting up the world club basketball tournament um, of course uh, because you know we, we we've won awards now as well we won quite a few awards and said so i won you know sussex sports awards and um we nominated loads of times for it as well got to the finals uh, again which wasn't the intention but to get that recognition from people outside of your sport is 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 great um so yeah winning, winning certain awards and yeah just setting up the world club basketball tournament which I said is, is the only international tournament in the in the uk um and sometimes i have to sit back and think hold on a minute you know it's um Surely there's got to be another one, and I've, I've researched it, and I've looked, and I think, and there isn't, there aren't any other international events, um, and that's, and, and so that is something proud I can be, you know, uh, is unique I can be proud of, and as I said it's not just basketball; it is raising awareness and and telling people my story. Um, that's that's something I'm very very proud of. I agree. Something, yeah, something you can be really proud of, and long may it continue. And yep, thank you raising much. more awareness for organ transplants kidney charities yeah we especially need it need it now definitely absolutely and uh, final one i ask this every week what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant oh good question 
Ooh. Research. I would say research. I don't think I researched it enough to find out what what the before and after was going to be like. So initially researched it to get a clearer understanding. And so, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, when the doctor kept saying to me, you're going to need a kidney transplant, it, it, he, he didn't really articulate why. He just kept saying, you're going to need a kidney transplant and you're losing protein. So I think ask questions of your of your, your doctors to find out what it actually means uh, and, and do as much research as you can to, um, to fully understand um what will happen before during and after um and and also i would say you know join as many sort of groups as you can where where people have whether it's facebook groups or what have you where people are having conversations and you can join in those conversations i yeah i agree i mean young adult kidney group cricket team local transplant games uh team groups so as many as you can and there's there's various groups out there you can join I linked to in the previous episode. I linked to donor group. So if anyone is a living donor, I'll bring back to that. You can go and join that. Link up with other people and hear their stories. Eric, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. Your story is inspiring. I think you did a great job with the World Club Basketball Tournament, and I'd love to come down one day see what it's see what it's yeah. all about. Get involved. Yeah, ho- hope hopefully uh, can't see it this year, but hopefully next year uh, we'll we'll get it all get it all going. And then, yeah, you're more than welcome to come down and uh, enjoy the weekend, day, weekend. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Thanks to my guest today, Eric Duglin. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please make sure you tell your friends, your family, tell them you enjoyed it, get them involved. Hopefully we can build something up here. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, it's it's the most used app to listen to the podcast. It would mean a massive amount to me if you could rate it five stars on the show page on there. It just helps boost it and it really does make the podcast reach more people, help more people see it. Hopefully we can bring people together, share their stories and we can all come together through transplants and sport. If you don't believe me, then I said last week I'd read the reviews that have come through. So I've had one from Taz Meister who says, what a fantastic podcast. Lewis is a brilliant presenter and has interviewed a range of guests, all with unique and eye-opening stories. If you're a patient, family member, interested in sport, or just want to know a little bit more about life in the kidney world, this is definitely a good one. Thank you for that. I will say that I know everyone who's been on so far has been kidney related. I am looking for guests who've had other transplants as well. So if you've had a heart, lungs, liver, pancreas, uh, corneas, bone marrow, stem cells, please do get in touch by either social media, which I've mentioned before. Instagram and Facebook is at Transplants Take On Sport Pod and Twitter is at TTOS Pod. Or you can email transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest, if you've got a story to tell, you're into sport, please feel free to get in touch. I read the comments on social media. I read all the messages that come in. I read the emails, so please don't hesitate. Another review we've had from Village Cricketer says, excellent insight into life after transplant. Excellent podcast, Lewis. Look forward to listening every week. Whether you're into sport or not, download and subscribe to learn something new about transplant life every episode, and you might like a new sport afterwards. I'm learning about new sports every time, so if you know someone who wants to learn more about new sports or transplants or they've had a transplant and they want to learn more about sport please tell them and tell them where the podcast is transplant take on sport available on all major podcast providers that's it for today i've been lewis daniels and you've been listening to transplant take on sport planning for your next trip 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.